Well, good morning, everyone. What you probably didn't catch and what Craig was saying earlier is the reason it's good to have the lights on is because they weren't on in our first service. We lost power, so that was interesting. Um, and uh, for any of you who are visiting, my name's Mark, and I um, am one of the staff members here at Door Creek, and it's good to have you here. And we've been going through a, a good series in the book of James this summer. Before we get into James, uh, last weekend, you know, I was gone if you were here, and it was, I think, a really important week, at least for me as pastor at Dora Creek. It was one of our uh, college couples that just graduated from the university who just started becoming a part of this church and felt enough part of this church that they wanted someone from this church to be part of their wedding. And so to be up in Minneapolis, see their friends, many of them who attend here, standing up with them, that was great. And if you remember a couple of years ago when we took the survey of where we're all at in our walk of life, I think two years ago the survey said we had 18 people who identified themselves as students in one of the local colleges or university. And last year when we got the surveys back, 88 people students identify that we're part of Door Creek here and God's been growing that and I think that's a really exciting thing as we seek to um, be part of what God might want to do on the campus at UW and with students around this great city and then the other thing I want to remind you is um, if you haven't been in the in the gym you know our fancy word is the activity center I'm not supposed to use that word but I mean we see the basketball hoops so we know what it is um <laughs> Uh, but now the gym has new colors, doesn't it? It's got a lot of new colors, and it's just good to remember why we're doing that um, and why there's new power and new lights and sound going in that room. It's because we've got a new service coming, and that's going to start up September 14th, our video venue. So if you normally come at 1045, you're actually going to have a couple options. One's in here, and one's going to be in the activity center. It's going to be a video venue, meaning that the message will be a video broadcast, okay? It'll be taped. But there'll be live musicians. It'll be a little more intimate. It's going to be a wonderful service. And the reason we're doing it is to reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ because that's what we're about, changing people into devoted followers of Christ who change the world with his love. And so be thinking as you're continually walking across the room and developing those relationships with people who maybe don't know Christ, be thinking about maybe that's a place, maybe this is the point in our relationship where I can invite them to join us for a service, and that might be uh, a good fit for you. So be thinking about that, and if any of you are really good at like hanging pictures in your house, and you can get them so that they're level, we've got a little job going in there. We're hanging all the acoustical panels, and so if you've got any aptitude uh, with hanging things like that and like drilling into concrete, we could use your help. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to put those all up so that we can hear each other in that room instead of having a, a, you know, a, an ongoing echo. All right, well, we're going to talk about a couple of things, one of them that's in our pocket. Last week, when we were talking about Faith Works, Bob was reminding us that Faith Works with our calendars. I don't know how you calendar your life, but mine's through this little palm thing, and I love it. I mean, you know, everything's on here. I get my emails on here, my, my, my phone uh, directories in here, my calendars in here, and I can calendar out way out in the future. And James reminds us that faith works out on how we think about the future, how we plan for the future. That we always realize that no matter how much we have, and no, and no matter how much freedom we have to, to plan things, 
that our life is a vapor, that God's fundamentally in control, even of our schedules, and we acknowledge that. We acknowledge it by making plans and saying, if the Lord wills, this is what we hope to do. Planning out our lives under the understanding that God is sovereignly in control of all of our affairs. Now, today, James says, I want you to reach in and grab the other thing in your, in your, in your pockets. And this would be for us guys and for you ladies. Maybe you've got your wallet in, in your purse. He says, I, I want you to, to take out your purse and your wallet, and I want to talk to you about it because I want to find out if you understand how your faith works with this thing, with your money, because it does. One of the great things about the Christian life and following Christ is to understand that Jesus calls us into a relationship with him. And it's not about a religion and all these practices. And it's very practical. That relationship invades every nook and cranny of our life. And today, it has everything to do with this, our wallet, our money. And James says, basically, I want to know how you hang on to this. Do you do it like this? Squeezing it and holding it tight? Or do you hold it like this? this because James is going to tell us that good money goes bad when we hold it like this have you heard the verse in the bible that goes like this money is the root of all evil have you heard that verse good good I was going to say well you haven't read in the bible if you heard it that way but that's often how it's misunderstood and misquoted the bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil it says The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And when you understand what the scripture says about money, all of a sudden you realize, hey, money is not a bad thing. And yet when you start reading the New Testament, you realize it's not necessarily neutral either. In fact, start reading Jesus in the Gospels about money and you find out, wow, it's kind of dangerous. It's a dangerous thing. Jesus says, you know, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to get into heaven. You see, there's something about wealth that can delude us into thinking, I don't need God. I got everything I need and I got enough resource so if there's anything I don't have, I'll get it. I don't need God. Jesus says you can't serve two masters. You're going to love the one or hate the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world only to forfeit, to lose his soul? Jesus said it's possible to chase after and grab after money to our own eternal detriment. Jesus said this in Luke's gospel, woe to you who are rich. For you've already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. So Jesus tells us, it's not bad, but it's dangerous. And we better have a sense of that. But fundamentally, when you go back and chase it through the scriptures, you understand what is taught by God is this relative to what he has given us. Ecclesiastes 5 sums it up so well. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this 
is a gift of God. Our wealth, our possessions, our ability to enjoy them, our ability to accept and be content with what we have, this is a gift of God. So we come to God's word and we, we understand that how we think about money is important and we better not just say money's bad. And we better not just say it's always good. We better be a little more nuanced than just saying it's neutral, it's dangerous, and yet we better remember that it's a gift. But James comes today and he says to his friends and he says to us, but remember this, this good gift from God can go bad. Good money can go bad. Let's see as we read the first six verses of James chapter 5 if you can figure out how it does go bad as we read this portion of God's word. You'll find on page 856, James chapter 5, 1 through 6. See if you can find out when good money goes bad. I'll read it and you follow along. James chapter 5, verse 1. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth is rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who are not opposing you. You know when good money goes bad? First thing James says is good money goes bad when you and I forget that all we have comes from God and belongs to God. You go, wait a minute, Mark. I didn't see that. Where does it say that? Well, it's completely implied in this other theme that's running through here. I don't know if you caught it. So he's, what's he talking about? At face value, he's talking about money. What's he saying about money? He's saying that how we spend our money today has everything to do with our standing before God at the day of judgment that we are going to have to give an account. James is, is saying what the scriptures say all throughout, and that is we're stewards of all that God has given us. It doesn't belong to us. It belongs to him. Sometimes we get deluded into thinking, well, no, he just gets the 10% part, right? The tithe. You chase the tithe out in scripture, you find out it's way bigger than 10% in the Old Testament, and it's never mentioned. A percentage is never mentioned in the New. And God doesn't own 10%. He doesn't get temperate. He owns it all. The scriptures say this in Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Why does it belong to God? Because he created it. See verse 2. For he founded it upon the seas. He established it upon the waters. James says when we forget that how we spend our money today has everything to do with standing before God in the future, then good money goes bad because we think it's ours and we can do with it what we want. And so as he's talking about money throughout these six verses, the other thing he keeps talking about is this 
day of reckoning. He calls it the day of slaughter, where we stand before the Lord Almighty, who's a judge, and we'll have to give an account. And there's, there's witnesses, he says, that the workmen that have been cheated out of their fair share as they've provided services for you, they're going to testify against you. Your money, which is rotted and corroded, they're going to stand up and they're going to testify against you. The whole thing is set up in that way so you can't miss it. James says good money goes bad when we forget whose it is. It's God's. All of it. And when we forget that, then we start to do what he mentions in verse 2 and 3. We start to hoard it for ourselves. What, what happens is we start to do this. We hold on to it tight. We don't do this. When we understand that it all is his, we hold on to it like this. We hold on to it like this. There's a scripture in Deuteronomy 8 that reminds us that even our ability to produce wealth is from him. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. So we're going to have to give an account. Have you ever been given some money and had to give an account for it? Is there any money you have right now that you'd say, that fits in that, I've got to answer to someone for how I invest this or how I use this. When I was in high school, one of the jobs I had was um, I worked at a grocery store. I got this great promotion. I went from the guy who was hauling carts in from outside to a checker. Man, had a pay raise, had a responsibility. And the deal of being a checker was you'd go to the office and they'd give you your cash drawer. And there was money in there. And at the end of the day, I had to give an account, make sure that I, I gave them back all that we took in plus all that they'd already given me. I had, to, I had to balance that drawer down on the penny. When I was short, sometimes I had to put my money back in. I had to give an account. James says, don't forget, the money you have belongs to God, and there's going to be a day at the end of the day where he's going to say, what'd you do with what I gave you? Was it like this, or was it like this? Did you hoard it on yourself, or did you give it back to me and others? Hey, it goes bad when we forget that. It goes bad when we hoard it on ourselves. And the problem is, in a passage like this, is we think we're not rich. So when we read verse 1, listen, you who are rich, weep and wail for the misery that's coming. Were you thinking in your mind, man, too bad so-and-so's not here today because this would be a good sermon for them to hear. Or, you know, our kids are rich. Maybe this is a good CD to send to the kids. I'm going to email somebody and tell them to log on to this. I mean, I'm not rich, but I know a lot of rich people, and they need to hear this. Did you really think God was speaking to you when you heard him say through James, listen, you who are rich? I think a lot of times we hear it, and we don't think he is. We don't think we are, because... We're looking the wrong way. What do I mean by looking the wrong way? Usually, when it comes to assessing where we are economically, we're always looking up the scale. I'm not as rich as they are. Rarely do we look the other way to those who have less. So let's just remember, 
where we fall in the scope of this world. In this world, almost half, 40%, 3 billion people live on less than $2 a day. $2 a day. A billion people live on less than a dollar a day. If you've got Dish Network like I do, that, that's more than a lot of people live on in the world. Just, just kind of put it in perspective. 2.2 billion kids, a billion of them under the age of five are in poverty. 30,000 kids a day die because they don't have the food and the water to sustain their lives. The United Nations statistics say that 20% of the developed world expends 86% of the world's resources. Friends, we're rich. We live in the wealthiest country in the entire world. We did things this morning that, that would just amaze millions and millions of people. When we turned on a water faucet, we went to a closet full of clothes. We walked in our bare feet on carpeting. We're rich. We're rich. And it's good to remember that. Good money turns bad when we hoard it on ourselves instead of investing it on God. And it goes bad in a couple of ways. The, the, the sights and the smells that James gives us here on how it goes bad are really powerful. He says your wealth is rotted. Moths have eaten your, your clothes. Your gold and silver has corroded. You ever been in the back of your fridge and you, and you saw something back there and you go, I wonder what's in that little Cool Whip container. And then you kind of wish you hadn't opened it up. It's just like, really, things are alive in there and growing in there and there's smells in there that you know don't belong in your fridge and it looks like that bad bread here, moldy. He says, when we hoard it on ourselves, the money goes bad. It spoils like that rotten food in the back of the fridge. He said it's, it's like the moth that will eat holes in our sweaters. It's like the rust that starts to eat away at metal. He says that's what happens when we start to do this with money and hold on tight and it goes bad hoarding it on ourselves. And you think about those three things. When, when does the food go bad? Well, we forget it's there when it's left unattended. When, when does the moth eat our clothes? Not when we're wearing it. When it's where? It's in the closet. We're not using it. Ah. When, when does the, the metal corrode? When it's out unattended out in the elements. And the corrosion that goes on is a double corrosion. It's not just the money goes bad, but he says that money that you're holding in your hand starts to be like a flesh-eating bacteria, virus that starts to eat your own soul, your heart, your life. 
And when you think about that word corrosion and corrode, you, you think about this. It means to eat away by degrees as if by gnawing, to wear away gradually, usually by chemical action, to weaken or destroy gradually. What, what, what James is reminding of is this. Things can rot in the fridge pretty quick. I don't know how long it takes a moth to get after the sweater. But I know this about rust. It takes time takes time and the danger of money is it could be corroding our own hearts little by little we don't even know it we don't even know it and i can imagine james's friend saying well james man we don't want good money to go bad we don't want our hearts to be corroded we don't want it to be destroyed and to be spoiled and, and for the things that God has given us to, to be ruined. So help us to know if it's going bad, if my heart's wrong, if my hands are like this or like this. Help me to know. And verses 4, 5, and 6 are the answers to that question. Here's how you can know good money goes bad. Verse 4, you cheat people out of their fair pay. He says, you landowners, you've got people working your, your fields. You've got harvesters coming in to gather it and you're cheating them of their wages. And we may not own a farm and we may not have anybody working the land like that for us, but we may be here and we have employees that work for us. We may have babysitters and people who provide services in our home. We may go out after this service and go get a nice lunch and we'll have an opportunity to leave a gratuity. And James says if we're withholding the money that these people deserve, that they've earned, then we can know that it's starting to have a corrosive effect in our hearts. We're doing this and this good gift is going bad. It's going bad. Here's what I always think about the restaurant. Um, I, it's just a habit. I pray before a meal to give thanks, recognizing it's just another demonstration of his goodness in my life. So I figured if that waitress sees me praying before I eat the meal, then I want her to know this about the God I pray to, that he's generous. He's not stingy. And any of you who have waited tables... You know what the deal is about the Sunday afternoon crowd? Cheap. You don't want to work that shift. That's sad. That's sad. So he says, all right, you can know something about this. How are you taking care of the people that provide services for you? There's a second thing he says, down in verse 5. You know your heart's corroded. You know you're starting to Hoard it on yourselves when you're living in luxury and self-indulgence. You remember the story that came out of the Philippines in the 80s when the president, strongman Ferdinand Marcos, is fleeing for his life and they flee the, the palace and, and his wife has this collection. Anybody remember what it was? Yeah, shoes. We all remember if we were around back then, man, did she love shoes. I know some of you ladies are into shoes. But, you know, Imelda, she, she really had, she had it for shoes. She had 2,700 pairs of shoes. 
That's 5,400 shoes in her closet. That's a lot of shoes. Let me tell you how a lot of shoes that is. That means if she wore a different pair of shoes for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day, it would take her two years and five months to wear through all of her shoes and not wear one of them twice. And at the rate she was buying them, you know, she probably never would have gotten that point. It's a lot of shoes. And we go, man, that is, that is living in luxury. That is definitely more than you need. And that is self-indulgent. And I'm not like that. I don't drive a Ferrari. I don't live in a castle. I don't have that many zeros behind my salary. Not me. Not me. And then we look the other way and we realize relative to the world, hey, we all live in luxury. Well, relative to the world standard, we live in luxury. The question is, what are we doing with what God has given us? Is it all about us? Is it all spent on us? Is it all about me, self-indulgent, luxurious living? A recent poll last year by the Pew Research said this about 18 to 25-year-olds. Their top goal in life, 81%, is to be rich. For the first time in American history, Nielsen Media Research tells us that we own more televisions, there's more TVs in our house than there are people. 2.55 people per household, 2.73 TVs. And so you're hearing this for the first time, but I've been wrestling with this stuff for the last couple of weeks, and it's hard. It's, it's the kind of stuff that can produce a lot of guilt. And if you're like me, you kind of want to know, all right, how do I know I've crossed the line? Tell me, James, how do I know? When have I gone too much in this whole area of spending on me? And, you know, James doesn't do it like that. And, and I'm not going to do it like that. Because you know what it does? It, it changes this teaching that's a good word for us into law. It takes grace right out of it. And it turns it into law. And it's saying, Jesus isn't enough. Now it's got to be this, this, and this. You can have one snowmobile, but two, that's too much. You know, you could have one wave runner, but it better just be a two-seater. That four-seater, that's over the top. You can drive this kind of a car, but you can't drive it. But that's in our, we, we, we want to know because we do want to get it right here. We do want to get it right. I mean, we could go back and start looking at our checkbook. How do we spend our money? We could go back and look at the last month of our credit card statements. I did say statements. Chase it down. See how we're spending our money. But I think maybe one of the best things to just ask ourselves is this. Where, where have I been generous? Where have I been generous this last week? Where have I been generous this last month? Where have I been like God? God's not a grabber. He's a giver. So he, he takes us to these things. Cheating people. Living in self-indulgent luxury. And then he takes us to a third thing, verse 6, 
where we use the money that we have and the power that goes with it to oppress others, cheating them out of their hard-earned money, in this case, maybe bringing their own destruction. I think it's a little bit metaphoric what he's talking about here of murder, but basically so oppressing these people for our own advantage through the power that we have through the wealth that we have so that we would do this even to innocent people who've done us no wrong. In the Apocrypha, Sirach says this, to take away a neighbor's living is to murder him. To deprive an employee of his wage is to shed blood. I think that's the kind of the point of what James is talking here. It follows right along with Proverbs 22.16. He who oppresses the poor to increase his wealth and he who gives gifts to the rich both come to poverty. And James is saying this, look, if, if, if we acknowledge that, that this is how we hold on to money, fists clenched around it tightly, not like this, open palm, open hand, acknowledging it's all his, belongs to him, then James says, here's what you can be sure about. Misery's coming. Misery's coming. It, it's, it's not good for you. He's warning his friends, and he's warning us. It's dangerous. This, this is not a warning from a God who needs our money. God doesn't need our money. This is a word, a good word, where God says, I want your heart. And when I got your heart, I've got your money. And don't ever think that he can have our heart and not have our wallet. James is saying faith works out in how we think about money and how we spend money. It's very, very practical. And so we say, okay, if this is a gift of God, our ability to earn money, the fact that we would have as much as we have, then how do I keep from letting this stuff go bad? Because I don't want it to corrode my heart. I don't want it to spoil. I don't want it to be that which stinks in my life. What do I do? And I think the answer is to follow the, the cadence of the great commandment. Remember the great commandment? First person we're to love is who? It's God. Love God. It's the first song we sing. With all your what? Heart, soul, mind, strength. That's with everything we have, including our wallet. So the Proverbs say this, Proverbs 3, 9, 10, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. This is the first and best principle where we understand if all that I have belongs to God, then I continually remind myself that, that it's His by giving back to Him. It's what many of us have ex- have learned in our discipline of walking with Christ that he's given us so much and it's our honor and privilege to give back to him as an act of recognizing it. It's his as an act of recognizing, God, I'm not trusting this money. I'm trusting you. We give it back to him. Now, for some of us, we haven't learned that joy of giving, that that joy of being freed up from this which can really put a chokehold on us. And we, we kind of work in this logic right now. We're saying, well, man, I got a lot of credit card debt or I got a lot of whatever, school loans. And as soon as I get out of debt, then I'm going to start giving to God. 
Maybe. Probably not. Probably not. The first place to go to make sure that it doesn't go bad in your heart is start giving it back to God. Giving it back to God. A practical way that we do that is we give it to his church to further his purposes. Maybe it's this place. Maybe it's other areas that you would give to. But start. Maybe you haven't done anything. I'm not going to tell you how much to give. I'm going to tell you how you should give. You should give from gratitude, not out of guilt. From gratitude knowing what God has done for you. You should give because you're trusting God, not your money. That's how you should give. Scriptures say cheerfully, generously, sacrificially. Then the second commandment is like unto the first. You love God with all your heart, and you love who next? Your neighbor. And the scripture says you want to make sure that money doesn't go bad, then first invest to God, and then share generously with your neighbor. You find his teaching in, in the epistles. First Timothy 6 says this very thing. Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Yeah, we know something about that in the last few months, right? But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them, here it is, to do good with their money, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, here's what happens. They lay, we lay up treasure for ourselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they, so that we may take hold of the life that is truly life, that is eternal life. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9.11, we have been made rich in every way that we can be generous on every occasion. And so the best thing to do as we wrestle with, am I honoring you, God, with money, is to keep giving it back to God and generously giving it to others as we see them in need. What you need to know is when you give regularly to this church, that happens all the time. Our benevolent fund, that's going to meet people in times of crisis with the needs that they have. When you give to that, that's where it goes. When you give to our general fund, it goes to places like Salvation Army where we feed the homeless. It gives people a second chance like the Second Chance Apartment, Interfaith Hospitality Network. It helps us build homes for people that need a home through Habitat for Humanity. It helps these pregnant girls who are going through a crisis time in their life and providing them a place to find Christ and hope in the midst of a really hard time. That's happening. But you know what? You know people that I don't know, that we don't know. There's people in your life that live down the hall from you or, or, they, or there are people in your family or somebody you know at church that we don't know about that's really going through it. And God says, be rich in good deeds. Be generous, be willing to share. And in doing that, we're not leaving it to the back of the fridge where it can spoil. We're not hanging it up on a rack where the moths can get it. We're not leaving it unattended out in the field where the the rains can corrode it and break it down and slowly destroy it. And most importantly, we're not allowing the corrosive effect of money when it's hoarded be a cancer in our own hearts. So God doesn't need our money. But he wants our hearts. He wants a relationship. And James says, man, if he doesn't have our wallet, he really doesn't have our heart. 
And when he has our hearts, he has all that we have. And we have the privilege of generously giving it back to him and others. Let's pray. Lord, the, um, the argument of the text says that if we are greedy, selfish, tight-fisted people, it's going to go bad for us. The history of humanity, our little anecdotes to that history in our own lives, um, just validates that we are selfish. And it's a lot easier, more natural for us to be grabbers than givers. So we just confess that. And we thank you, Lord, that though we deserved misery, you sent your son Jesus, who became poor, who lived in poverty, that we might know the riches of your mercy and your grace and your love and your forgiveness. And I would pray, Lord, that there would be nobody here that leaves with an overwhelming sense of guilt, but they'd understand, Lord, that our hope's in Christ, that he died on the cross as a poor man. He suffered incredible misery so that we can stand before you on that day and give an account of how your grace moved us from being grabbers to givers, from being tight-fisted, small-hearted people to being magnanimous people who are generous givers. Change hearts today, even as you confront us with our hearts. Give people faith to reach out and believe that Jesus died for them. Lord, forgive us, those of us who know better, who've been living a stingy life and making poor examples of who you really are and grow us as a church, as a people to be generous and in that to find what you desire. That is our joy. Make us happy to trust you, happy to give like you give. And we pray this in Jesus' name who makes that possible. Amen.